Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, Husker fans. Welcome to episode 241 of the Husker Football Fan Podcast. I'm Mike Harvat. In today's episode, Justin concludes our series of opponent previews by welcoming Scott Dockerman of The Athletic to discuss Nebraska's appropriately scheduled Black Friday matchup with Iowa. You can find us on the web at huskerpod.com or by searching Husker Football Fan Podcast on Facebook. You can also connect with us on Twitter by following at huskerpod or email us at huskerpod at gmail.com. This episode is brought to you by Central Nebraska Buffalo. Check out their website for the latest deals, cnbuffalo.com. Also brought to you by Monty Rohde with Pinnacle Realty in Lincoln. Looking to buy or sell a home in Lincoln or know somebody who is? Reach out to Monty at 402-770-3356. We are excited to welcome Scott Docterman to the podcast. Scott covers Iowa football for The Athletic. Welcome, Scott. Hey, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it, Justin. The pleasure is ours. Let's uh, let's just start by looking back. Um, I had to refresh my memory on Iowa season uh, in 2020 and uh, starts off kind of a tumultuous off season starts off with a couple losses. And I think a lot of Nebraskans are like, well, this, is this it for Kirk? And then he reels off six wins, things are rolling. Uh, and then the last two games get canceled. Um, how do you, how do you look back? At, what do you, what do you think of when you think of that season? I mean, how do you put that all together? Yeah, it's tough to compartmentalize it all because there's so much going on. And, uh, you know, the, first of all, you, you you can't explain the 2020 season. You know, we'll just put COVID in the in the rearview mirror. But but without the, the allegations by dozens of former African-American players who, um, you know, really kind of railed against Iowa's um, culture to some extent. Yeah. And a lot of that was focused on the the. Um, you know, the weight room area, but also mm-hmm. just in general that it, it, they felt it was uncomfortable for them. And then sometimes they had to suppress themselves in a lot of different ways. And, uh, and I thought anything was possible at that moment. And mm-hmm. even in the coverage of it, it was very difficult, as you can imagine, because, you know, pe- you, you want to be true to the story. You want to be true to the experience. You, you want to allow people to say their piece. And, and there's also lots of different perspectives because um, what somebody may think is terrible, somebody else may go, well, is that really that bad? So it was, uh, it was soul searching and to some extent for all of us. But I know in talking to a lot of the players, the majority most, in fact, just wanted to see change. They wanted it to get better. Um, what I used as kind of my moral compass in covering it to try to find what is what's going to happen here is I talked to the former players, as many of the current players as I could, kind of mostly behind the scenes, and their parents. I thought their parents were really instrumental in this. And I would say the, the lion's share, 90, 80 to 90%, we're all of a similar feel, which was even though they complain, it's because they love the program. 
that they, they wanted it to get better. They thought it could get better, but they needed to speak out because the things that they've spoken out before in the past hadn't changed or changed enough. And with the situation involving George Floyd, um, it kind of empowered them to feel like their voice was at a, at a better time to be heard and heard louder. So with that, the area that was clearly an issue was the strength and conditioning program. And, and Chris Doyle uh, was with Kirk Ferentz. He was his top lieutenant. Uh, actually, his working title was director of Iowa football. So he was considered a head coach really by the department. Um, he was the best at what he did. There's no, no doubt about it. And I think anybody who went through it can agree to that. However, his methods were difficult for a lot of people and, and especially players of color who are not from the Midwest, from Iowa, mm-hmm. small town, Iowa, it was tough for them to, um, it was a very difficult situation for them. So as they materialized, um, that seemed to be an un- unintendable for, for the, that, uh, for them that, and so Chris resigned and it was needed to happen. The discussion from Kirk and among other people around there was, can it get better with Kirk Ferentz? And the majority again, in that category was he deserves the right to try that they, the players, the parents felt like he could be part of the solution, but of Mm -hmm. course he had to make changes. That's unusual. That's something that most people on the outside would have guessed. No, you're just going to have to, he's going to have to resign and grant one didn't happen. Um, And so he made enough changes not to just placate everybody, but institutionally to where people felt like their voice mattered, that they were more, uh, it was very clicky before in some ways, you know, you had, you know, I'm sure it's not, it's, it's like this in Nebraska to some extent too, where you have small town kids who kind of stick together. They have similar backgrounds, experiences, likes, dislikes, and then players who are not from Iowa, who maybe uh, maybe different, different, ethnicities who kind of stuck together, they mingled a lot more. They felt a lot better. They got through the summer. Uh, they expanded the leadership group. More players were a part of it. More uh, players of color were a part of it. They discussed things like the national anthem and uh, other things that maybe in the past were absolute. And then it became more of a collective discussion and it became heated at times, no question, but it, but they found common ground and a sense of belonging so when they got to that first part of the season, as we all know, they lost those two games um, by four points and one point. Yeah, and, I mean, it was a, a bad Purdue team, but a pretty good Northwestern team. Yeah, and they had about 10 starters out for the Purdue game. I'm not going to give them any excuses or passes. They fumbled uh, late in the game when they had a lead, and David Bell <laughs> is, is kryptonite for them. Hmm. Uh, and then Northwestern, they were up four, 17 to nothing at home, and – um, a really poorly called second half to go along with mm. a, a struggle by the quarterback, you know, they lose by one point and that ultimately costs them the division title. At that point, I'm kind of like with everybody else going, okay, this is, this could really get to be a slippery slope and then it's over. Mm-hmm. Instead, they felt like they could galvanize and, and, and push forward and they win the next game 49 to seven and push through. And, and I saw a collectiveness that I had really never seen before because it, again, it was kind of clicky, almost NFL like in that, okay, people over here, 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 here. And, uh, but no, they seem to be much 
more together. And so they won their final six. They didn't get to play Michigan. That would have been a blood bloodletting. <laughs> I think Michigan agrees to that. Mm-hmm. And then they would have beaten the tar out of Missouri. And I would have, would have liked to have seen that. Yeah, right. As a, as a Nebraska guy. So they ended their year six and two. It, they probably had number 10 potential. They ended up number 15 and 16 in polls. Uh, but they felt good about the way the season ended and the trajectory of what they accomplished and what they went through. So I know that's a really long way for me to describe the whole situation. But I think, I think that was really where things stood at the end of the year. And, and, uh, and it seems to still be progressing in a good way, whether that means they will be 11 and one or seven and five, I don't know, but, yeah. but I think the program itself is in a much healthier place. Um, in the background than it was a year ago at this time or 14, 15 months ago at this time. That, I think that's great to hear. I mean, Nebraska and Iowa fans go back and forth, but the reality is, I mean, we're pretty similar people just, you know, separated by a river. So right. um, just, I think it was really fascinating for, for us to watch what was going on, knowing that some of the tensions existing with the Iowa community may have been unique because of the coach Doyle, but I mean, just the people and the, the backgrounds of, you know, some of the small town players and whatnot. I mean, there could be some similar stuff in any Midwestern university. So it was just really uh, interesting to watch. And it's cool to hear how, you know, you kind of, now we can look back on it and, and hear a little bit more of how it went and how it worked out and how there sounds like there's some growth as a result. I'm curious, as you've talked to players this summer, now it's been a full year with the new strength and conditioning system is, do they notice, do they feel like they're getting as good a physical preparation? I mean, is, is it same old Iowa? I mean, I mean that in a good way in terms of development. No, it's, it's really fascinating to listen to them because Raymond Braithwaite, who, who's an African-American, he was the number two for a long period of 15 years or so. And, uh, but he is such a different individual. Now he's also stood up for, for Chris Doyle and said, I never heard him say things like, you know, racist things. And, and that kind of drew the ire of some former players, but um, I, I admire his honesty. If he hadn't heard it, then he's not going to lie about it and, and continue to throw him under the bus. But, but he has a different way of dealing. Chris is very in your face. He's a, he was a military sergeant type. Um, he was out to, to a lot of times it was embarrass you, dress you down. And it, it was kind of humiliating for a lot of guys. And, and that's what now that's why some small town kids from Iowa or, or from the Midwest in general could kind of handle it a little bit, but other people who are not from here couldn't handle it as much. Raymond is, is much more laid back. He's, he's not a in your face guy. He's more matter of fact, he doesn't really raise his voice. And so it's really kind of a 180. However, the results have been pretty comparable. I mean, there've been a couple of records broken, you know, in in the weight room. And, and I think it's going to be interesting to see how this team competes, uh, you know, not only this year, but in the the future, because, because if that style works, if, if, then everything that Chris Doyle ever really said is, is, is BS, you know, Mm -hmm. that, you know, to be that kind of a, a guy now his training methods, and what he was able to do for the program, 
Yes, he took three stars and turned them into NFL guys. And he built up a lot of kids that came in weighing 230, 235 pounds, or even like Mike Daniels, who is 215, turned him into a longtime NFL player at you know 300 pounds and do it in a healthy, physical way. He could do that well. But I think right now they, they, they seem to like that. Um, you know, again, the results are the results. And it's not, you know, this year they could lose a lot of close games, but it could be because of that or it might not be. I think I want to kind of reserve judgment sure. as to which method is actually the best yeah. for, for Iowa. Got a whole season ahead of us to, to make some observations. Um, uh, before we get, I guess, to the 2021 schedule, I'm curious what, what, are, what you see as strengths and weaknesses of this Iowa team coming into the season. You know, in the Big Ten, they, they have 14 guys who earned Big Ten recognition last year coming back. That's pretty sizable and, and much more than anybody else in the West even. I think you look, the interior offensive line is probably the best in the league, and it, you could argue is the best in the country with Tyler Linderbaum at the forefront, but also a couple of guards that I think, uh, and Cody Entz, who I think could be an all-Big Ten guard, and you know either Kyler Schott or, or Justin Britt, both of them had a lot of experience and can play there. So I think interior offensive line, is a strength, obviously running back and, and fullback. I, you, know, you have an all Big Ten running back returning in Tyler Goodson. Uh, wide receiver, it, it's kind of a hit that they had that they took with two two other better receivers going to the NFL. But they also have a couple others who are pretty good and, and one true freshman from your part of the world in Keegan Johnson. Uh, defensively, the back seven is as good as you'll find in the Big Ten. All five starters are back. And the secondary, they kind of have a hybrid outside linebacker slash safety position. So all of them have started games in, you know, in 2019, let alone all of them last year. So that's uh, remarkable. Um, and their linebacking core should be as, you know, I think Jack Campbell's a star um, at, at, at the at weak side linebacker. Um, their weaknesses to me, there, there are three concerning areas. One is, Interior defensive line, uh, you lose Davion Nixon, um, you know, and Jack Heflin too, but both were starters. Dick Nixon was defensive player of the year of the Big Ten. I don't know that they have somebody who can step in and replicate, uh, can't replicate what he did, but come in and perform a similar role at the same at a comparable level. I think that's a concern because Iowa's a two-gap system that's built on disruption up front and it allows its linebackers to flow freer to the ball and make plays. And they've got quality linebackers. It's just a matter of can they do that. I think on the offensive side, there are two areas that I, I think are kind of concerns. One is uh, tackle, offensive tackle. They lost both starters. Um, Alaric Jackson's in, with the Rams, and Mark Kallenberger had to retire. So they're breaking in new guys there. Um, I think they're pretty good. I think they're capable, but they haven't done it. And so in order for me to believe it, they have to show it, and they've got, you know, pretty tough couple of games to start the season. Third is kind of the mystery that is Spencer Petrus. Um, he played well at times, inconsistent almost the entire season. And uh, it's just a matter of, can he grow? Can he become a better player? Can he take that step from being a marginal, just a guy to being a, a quality player and winning games uh, and beyond? I don't know. And, if not, then I think they need to look at a different candidate. If so, then this team, I think, is it should be considered the favorite in the West. So um, those three problem areas are critical to this team going from being a competitive team that can beat anybody on any given day to a contender 
challenger even for the Big Ten crown where it could beat just about anybody on any given day. So I don't know that we'll know those answers until the season, and and it could be in the heat of uh, November before we really get a true read on it. Uh, replacing a pretty good kicker too, right? <laughs> yeah, he's he's endeared himself to a lot of people in Omaha and Lincoln, right? Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Keith Duncan is uh, in Des Moines running a, a kicking camp, so oh, cool. uh, you know, so he's doing that nowadays. Caleb Shudek was is a sixth year guy, and he was the kickoff specialist. And it came down between those two for two years, and every single time anybody would ask about Keith Duncan and what he was able to do, uh, Caleb Shudek got his name got brought up and oh, Hey, you know, it's really close. It's really close. Well, it's his job now as a six year we'll guy. Yeah. yeah. And again, we won't know that until the wind is howling at Memorial stadium, <laughs> mm-hmm. but he's got to kick a game winning field goal or, or do it at Madison, Wisconsin or Ames, Iowa um, to know if he's any good or not. Uh, so do I think he can? Sure. But I got to see it too, before I write it down, that he's going to do it. Uh, interesting schedule like Nebraska um, starting off with a Big Ten opponent, although it's not, uh, it's a Big Ten East opponent with Indiana. Um, and then going to Iowa State, and I'm sure Iowa State fans are as jacked as they've ever been for that. Uh, Kent State and Colorado State at home go to Maryland, host Penn State and Purdue. Um, and then back to back, a real pivotal stretch here go to Wisconsin, go to Northwestern, host Minnesota, host. Uh, Illinois, and then um, back in Nebraska for uh, for the uh, Black Friday game, which you know I course tried to get rid of, but it, he couldn't get rid of it and never went away. And here it is back, hopefully to stay. Yeah, that seemed to be the uh, the final the final uh, kick to, to his midsection. I would say mm-hmm. was trying mm-hmm. to get rid of that when Mike Riley uh, wanted to, and it, and it really made no sense. And uh, you know that, <laughs> but here we are. We're still we still got it and it never missed, you know, it was th- this was supposed to be the second year of that two year, uh, Iowa Wisconsin ender and, and it was going to be on Saturday, but Iowa and Nebraska has been able to make it work even last year when it wasn't the season finale. Um, you know, looking at Iowa's schedule in, in detail, it's, it's kind of carpentimentalized, I guess. Um, the first two games are, are huge for how the season starts. I don't know that they're, ultra critical in the final analysis and Indiana and Iowa both, you know, today they're ranked by the uh, um, coaches in the top 20. I think Iowa's 18 and Indiana 17. So you've got a top 20 matchup right off the bat and they're, you know, in different divisions, there's a rich history among the programs. They they've recruited head to head a few times lately. So uh, there's some, under the under the scenes uh, under the the hood there's a there's a few issues but nothing too severe but yeah i think that's a really critical game for both teams in perception if nothing else uh whether or not whoever's one and oh kind of gets that jump and a boost you know you know in, in perception week two no no brainer a huge game it's it's the biggest sci hot game of all time um they've never met as ranked opponents at really? the same time. 
Yeah, wow. two years two years ago they almost did, but Iowa huh. State won in uh, double overtime against Northern Iowa, so they got they got bumped out of the poll. But okay. um, but you know they've Iowa's won every matchup since 2014, and they didn't play last year. But this is Iowa State's best team clearly, and they returned 19 starters. They have four guys with All American potential or consideration. They're deep. They're this is not the Iowa State team that everybody remembers fondly from from Nebraska's Big Twelve days, right? right. <laughs> yeah. So, the, I I would I would probably lead towards the Cyclones. I think the Cyclones really? are probably a little bit better team right now. That said, it's it, it'll be in Ames. It'll be interesting. Um, Iowa should get a re- reprieve after that, no matter what happens. Kent State, Colorado State, to kind of figure things out because uh-huh. I think it's kind of like throw everybody out there in the first two weeks that can help you win games and weeks three and four, they might have a chance to, all right, well, let, let's see what this guy can do here. And, the, you know, and then Maryland uh, and Maryland should yeah, on the road is, is, is going to be a different game. It's a Friday night game. So no. who knows no. uh, Penn state and Purdue Purdue is, I always had all kinds of problems with Purdue <laughs> lately. It's, it's, it's styles more than anything else. And the way Jeff Brown plays, he extends the field. It's every blade of grass you got to defend. And Iowa's very geometric based in the back end. And, and so you can take advantage of that, provided you can get rid of the football. And, and so they've, they've really struggled with Purdue and, and their receivers uh, over the years. Um, yeah, Penn State is, um, you know, Iowa won decisively last year, but yeah. it's, they've been a really close series the last four or five years. Um, I believe they have a break. And then it's, as you mentioned, it's, it's kind of hate month, <laughs> you know, all the team, all the big 10 teams on their border, they have histories with all of them. Um, you know, Northwestern, Wisconsin, uh, Illinois, uh, Minnesota, of course, which was the most heated of the bunch last year. And then, and then Nebraska to finish. So it, it, it's kind of a tiered system. And ideally for Iowa, they want to, whatever happens in the first couple of weeks, they want to learn and grow from it. And then, um, put themselves in a position where the last five weeks they can yeah. uh, compete at a high level and, and see what happens. Because yeah, Iowa could totally blow. I mean, they could take the first five weeks off and still win the West, basically. I mean, and it's so interesting, too. What a weird setup. Not only do they not start with a non-con, but you have the first half of the schedule is not in the division. Mm. The, the last six are all your divisional opponents. And that just seems odd. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. It was. It was shifted around a little bit. I'd have to look at what the old schedule said, but um, you know, a few things moved. The, the Nebraska Iowa game moved right uh, for one, but um, they kept the Indiana game at the net number one, which was fascinating. So, uh, you know, it, it is. It's different. You're kind of working your way in, and then all of a sudden, boom! Here it is. You, mm-hmm. you know, you're the teams you dislike. Well, you know, and they played Penn State. That, that's kind of been their permanent crossover through this year, and and uh, so this is kind of it for them. And uh, then next year they rotate off, and I feel they're supposed to get Rutgers. We'll see if that ends up being the case. Yeah. I, I think some things could change between now and then. You you alluded to the potential for for being favored in the West uh, as you just kind of walk through this. What do you see as a possibility for the season? I think it you know in honestly it's a really fascinating division. I do think any of the seven are capable 
of reaching of, of winning it. And that said, I'm not going to bet on Illinois to do it or Purdue to do it, but, but I think, you know, you can make a case where they have a great year, they win the right games and then boom, boom, they're, they're up in the upper deck. I think Wisconsin and Iowa are the two safest picks to say mm-hmm. they're going to finish in the top three, you know, that maybe somebody, maybe Nebraska, you know, with all the defensive starters and Adrian Martinez has a great year and, and the running game takes off and, and, you know, maybe they vault to number one, but I don't think Wisconsin and Iowa fall past number three, maybe fourth mm-hmm. in the division. Uh, the other ones, I think there's variation, you know, Minnesota could have a great year with its offense. And if its defense comes around, it could be, you know, maybe tied for the league title, or it could be fifth or sixth. And I think Nebraska is in that ballpark. Northwestern lost so many players. I I struggle to um, rule out the Wildcats because every year they find a way when you think that they're going to fall apart, they're going to be great. Um, I don't know. They've got, they lost enough players to where I struggle with that with Blake Gallagher and Patty Fisher and Greg Newsome and a lot of, defenders up front, their quarterback, some running backs. I think it might be tough for them to repeat, but, you know, Fitz is a great coach. And then, yeah. you know, Illinois is, is as fascinating as anybody because how, how do you return 15 of those super seniors? Most of the time when you have a, a coaching, you know, dismissal like that, and you have the opportunity to leave and play right away. Most of those guys are gone. Said so they all came back and, that, that tells you a lot about Brett Bielema and what they think mm-hmm. of him. And, mm-hmm. and I know what kind of program he's going to run. It's going to be a tough, hard-nosed program. He's not going to take off uh, recruiting the way Lovey did. He's going to yeah. look at those small-town Illinois kids as well as the Chicagoland area. And, and so he's going to he's, – they're going to be a tough out. That, that doesn't mean they won't be beaten. They could be beaten eight times this year. But, but they're going to be a team that you're not going to walk in going, all right, you just kind of shrug this one off. And then Purdue, like I said, everybody else in the league could beat them except Iowa, it seems like. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Wow. That I really appreciate uh, you walking through that with me. And just for your time today, um, Scott is Scott Docterman on Twitter. That's D-O-C-H-T-E-R-M-A-N, one word. Um, is there anything else that our listeners should be following in order to catch what you're putting out there? <laughs> well, you know, we, we're now kind of into the in the season mode. So whether it's me or, or you know, my friend and colleague Mitch Sherman writing about the Huskers all the time, and and, and any of us, Jesse Temple at Wisconsin, we got Matt Fortuna who's writing a lot about the Big Ten, somewhat at large. Same thing with Nicole Arbach. We've got you know a pretty good stable of writers at the Athletic. So um, yeah, follow along. It's it's it's, it's you know, good. I'm excited for the year. I think everybody is just to get some normalcy back. And, and honestly, I cannot wait until that first game, um, you know, in Champaign, you know, which should be more referred to as Schlitz, Illinois, because it's less Champaign and more like Schlitz, but, (laughs) (laughs) but no, it's, uh, yeah. Uh, But just, I think the, the storyline for that game for, for the Huskers and for the, the Illini is, is really rich. And that is you've got, you know, Brett in returning. It's going to be probably a full house, which I have yet to see in person over there. But but I think you got that. And then you've also got um, Nebraska. And I, I think Nebraska is the dark horse in the division. I really do. I think if things click in the right way, it, it could they could be a really a pretty good team, you know, and, and a contender. 
if they lose that first game, it's going to be tough to get off the deck. And I think fans will reflect that. So there's so many different storylines and I'm thrilled. It's on a day where, um, I don't have to cover any football so I can watch it. So week zero. uh, Yeah. I just wish it was like in a night game. And I think that's something that the big 10 needs to start looking at in their future media rights discussions to get off Mm -hmm. some of these 11 AM kickoffs, which, you know, ultimately, uh, that that was the driving force for Oklahoma and, right. and, uh, and no, no longer is a return to the big 12, any kind of possibility. Now that door seems closed with uh, Oklahoma and Texas bolting. So uh, you're stuck in the big 10 forever. Uh, oh, I, yeah, no, I don't, I don't think any, as much as people talk it, I don't think anybody was ever looking back in this last month has been like, told us so this is why we did what we did. And it's, mm-hmm. it's been a rough transition. I was, I think I tweeted yesterday that watching the Olympics has been kind of like watching Nebraska's athletics where the women kick butt and the men are just kind of like, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, you got a good basketball coach, um, you know, and I, I think, I think the pieces are there in football to be competitive. Um, you know, how much in the, in the close games, I don't know. That's, that's remains to be seen. We'll, yeah. we'll know that in the fourth quarter. I thought like last year, and, and this is just my own evaluation for what it's worth in the, uh, um, you know, for, for watching Nebraska was I, I watched that Illinois game and I thought, is this, this team's dead in the water? This isn't a very good team. Came to Iowa City and gave Iowa its toughest game probably of the year, even <laughs> even beyond the ones they lost. Uh, <laughs> you know, I thought they played Iowa better. Iowa had some weird situations in the first two games, but I thought, no, all right, Nebraska threw down. Nebraska wanted to win that game and, it, yeah. and Iowa had to claw back to win it. And, and so if, if every game has that effort, you know, and no dips, not get high and mighty after beating Penn State. <laughs> oh, and know. six Penn State, I think. Yeah, yeah. right. Uh, if you don't have, uh, hey, we, we've arrived. If, you, if right. you play every game with that attitude, then sure, it could come down to the last two or three games and still might be a divisional contention. And that, that's, all you, that's all you ask for. Yeah. You know, play Wisconsin huge. and Iowa in that six-day period. Winner gets the um, – crown and you know if not hey you, you still you put yourself in a position where you feel like you can compete again and and that'll probably change all the attitudes wouldn't it in nebraska sure. that if you can be that hey we're throwing down against these teams we feel good about it the future's bright we're not we're in the big 10 let's just move forward there's no looking back i think well, yeah. that would be helpful you, you take out that illinois performance from last year and i do think we all feel a lot better about the state yeah. of things so yeah well, hey, I, I do really appreciate this and uh, look forward to following your work in the coming season. Enjoy it. All right. Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Take care. And that will do it for our series of opponent previews this offseason. Uh, thank you so much again to Justin for conducting these surveys, for getting all the scheduling done, for reaching out to the various uh, reporters. Um, And uh, yeah, um, here we are just a couple weeks away from the season beginning. If you have enjoyed what you've heard throughout this summer, please tell a friend, you know, tell a family member, show somebody how to subscribe to our podcast, even if it means you physically take their phone and say, here, tap on these things. There you go. You're subscribed. Um, Whatever you got to do, we'd greatly appreciate it. We're looking forward to giving you weekly episodes throughout the season, um, recapping and previewing each game, 
and uh, just having a lot of fun with you this fall. So um, please subscribe if you haven't already done so yourself and also leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever they're calling it at this point. Um, uh, Yeah, so uh, as always, thank you for listening. This is Mike Harvat on behalf of Justin saying Go Big Red. Husker Football Fan Podcast is an unofficial, non-commercial podcast and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. The views expressed on this podcast belong solely to the individuals expressing them. The Husker Football Fan Podcast is not endorsed by or affiliated with the Nebraska Cornhuskers or the University of Nebraska. Nebraska.